Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. On the show this week, Lydia Ko continues to rewrite golf's record books. We hear from New Zealand's latest Olympians. Kiwi athletes are undergoing more drugs checks in the wake of Maria Sharapova's Maldonium scandal. The New Zealand men's sevens team hits Hong Kong. We look back at the careers of Wellington Phoenix defenders Ben Sigmund and Manny Musket. Plus, we celebrate the Hurricanes winger Corey James' 100th Super Rugby appearance. The records continue to tumble for World Golf number 1 Lydia Ko, following her win on the LPGA Tour this week. Ko created golfing history on Monday when she became the youngest person to win two LPGA majors, when she took out the ANA inspiration in California. The 18-year-old New Zealander also broke a record that stood for nearly 150 years. She became the youngest back-to-back major winner since young Tom Morris in 1869. Coe hit a superb third shot to birdie the final hole at the Mission Hills Country Club in California to win by one shot. At the media conference afterwards, she spoke about their particular approach. Every shot is, is special in its own way, you know, like every win is special, you know, because every tournament is so different. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, just playing the 72nd hole, you know, birding the last hole, that's always a good feeling, you know. Obviously, for that shot to mean so much that I would win the event, you know, that makes it extra special. Uh, but, you know, I obviously laid up to the right number and, you know, hit it, you know, hit it to the exactly right spot. But, you know, I thought I, it was going to be a little short, but, you know, with the greens firming up, it ended up being perfect. Can you uh, tell us what it means to, to you to be the youngest player in LPGA history to win two majors? To me, it's, it's more special to have just won this, you know, event and to, you know, win a major. You know, obviously it, it makes it extra special that, you know, I've become, I'm the youngest uh, winner to win two majors. Um, but, you know, just to win any event is special. And, you know, just to know that, you know, the hard work that you put in as a team, uh, you know, kind of paid off. And, you know, the, all the stats and everything comes at the end. Uh, you know, just, just to embrace this win, I think that's the special part, more than, you know, the youngest something. Everybody always talks about the jump. Had you thought at all prior to that moment when you found out you won of, of how you were going to jump into Poppy's Pond? No, I mean, I've seen so many different jumps. You know, people take leaps or, you know, walk in. Um, but, you know, I never imagined it. I said, wow, it would be so cool to take the jump, you know, how what would the feelings be and you know I asked some people I said hey you know how should I jump you know how do I make a call and uh, I think uh, just you kind of run and just go hey what whatever you know you're gonna have to jump for it um, but I don't even know what the photos ended up looking like uh, but you know it was deeper than I thought uh, but obviously the longer you jump the, the deeper it is in the middle. 
After the win, Checkpoint's John Campbell spoke with Co's coach, David Ledbetter, and asked him how significant this win was. Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I mean, certainly winning Evian last year uh, was, was incredible, but to follow it up, uh, winning last week, but following up winning this week, I mean, it just, I, I told her at the beginning of the week, John, I said, listen, this is your tournament to win. You need to go out and win this tournament. And that's exactly what she did today. You know, nobody gave it to her today. She she struggled somewhat. She didn't have her best stuff with her, as they say. But she did what she had to do. And uh, when it came down to the clutch time, she hit this amazing shot on the last hole. And uh, it was uh, it was just absolutely incredible. And, you know, she's just... Uh, she's just destined to be one of the greats. I mean, you can just see it now. If we can keep her away from injuries and keep her passion for it, which I don't think is going to be a problem. I mean, she's just got a remarkable temperament for the game. She's just uh, just, just one of a kind. And uh, you, but what else can you say? Have you ever seen anyone like her before in terms of her ability and her psychological predisposition, her composure, for example? I, I honestly haven't. I mean, look, I... I I was very much involved in the Tiger era, you know, having worked with Ernie Els, um, you know, obviously a, a peer of Tiger's. And I, I knew I knew closely what Tiger was doing and what he was going through. And you can only you, you can only put it down to sort of a Tiger-esque type performance. Uh, you know, very different individuals, obviously. But just the, the fact that she just does what she has to do when she has mm, to do it. Mm. I mean, and nothing really phases her. And that's the amazing thing. I mean, look, she looked like she was down and out with a few holes to play, but she just she just hung in there, and and obviously the pressure got to uh, Mr. Tanagan, and you know Lydia was just uh, I mean it was just one of those performances where, as I said to her, I said you know you you're going to win tournaments like this where you haven't got your best stuff, and this is going to be great for the future because it's one tends to think well you have to play great golf the whole time, but you know it's a case of hanging in there, holding the putts when you need to, hitting the hitting the shots at the right time, and my goodness, didn't she do that on the last hole? Yes, she did. It's extraordinary because there was four tied for the lead, right, when Lydia entered the 18th. And Lydia looks up the leaderboard and thinks, gosh, I'm one of four. Now, not long before that, she was two shots down. And so her response to that is to birdie the last. Now, that does speak of someone who has the most extraordinary composure. I wish I could think of another word, but that is just deep in her, isn't it? It, yeah, it just speaks volumes about her as, a, as an individual and what she's got inside of her. I, I, I don't think, I, I think when you, you know, she's sort of a savant. I mean, that's really what she is. I mean, it's the only way to describe her. Uh, she's uh, just one of those people who have this unbelievable talent uh, who really probably don't even know why they have this mm. talent. I mean, it's a God-given gift that she has that is able to come out and to be able to perform at the highest level, I mean, you've seen that through the decades, even whether you go back to Jack Nicklaus or yeah. whoever, the fact is that when when the chips are down, when the old, the old saying is when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and uh, that's exactly what Lydia did today. David, the interesting thing is, of course, that now people are talking about her in these terms. Suddenly she's becoming famous. Suddenly she's starting to make some pretty serious money. How does she stop what happened to Tiger, which is that you kind of lose a connection with what's real and what's good and what's grounded. How do you retain your sanity when all this is happening to you when you're 18? 
I think the wonderful thing, John, with Lydia, that she's such a well-rounded person. I think if you look back at Tiger, I don't think he really was given a lot of life skills. I think Lydia uh, is a very down-to-earth person. Mm. Her parents keep her grounded, if you will. I think her background growing up in New Zealand, just having sort of a simple life, if you will, has really set uh, has sort of set the stage, so to speak. And I don't think Lydia will ever u- uh, lose that. Um, she has that compassion about her. She's a, a kind, caring person. She And you, you, you wouldn't know. I mean, if you spoke to Lydia. I mean, she's almost apologetic. Yes, yes she is. It's amazing. I mean, because there's just not one ounce of arrogance in mm. her. I mean... She's she's willing other players to play well, as she said to me. And I said, you know, do you know that when you're when you're playing, that you have this little knee dance when some one one of your uh, opponents putts is getting near the hole. She says, I want it to go in. I want it to go in. She said, I just want these players to play well. I don't I don't want them to play badly. I just want myself to play well. So she has this thing about her. I, I just I don't I just cannot see her changing. She's just uh, she's just a, a just a wonderful human being. David, we so appreciate your time. One final question, and it's awful to tempt fate, and it's awful to try and look into the crystal ball ever in sport. But gosh, the Olympics are an exciting prospect, aren't they, for Lydia Ko, and for you and for everyone associated with her? Absolutely. I think that she's um, she definitely she's talking about the Olympics a lot more now. She, uh, I think it's at the back of her mind that, look, this is uh, obviously the first time for eons that the golf has been played in the Olympics and who knows how long it's going to be played. Uh, hopefully it'll be played for many a year. But uh, yes, absolutely. I think this would be uh, something that she's, she's definitely vying for. She knows it's an important uh, international meet. I mean, we, we look at tournaments and we know that for the most part that's from an individual standpoint. But she knows she's playing for her country and she... You know, she loves New Zealand, and uh, she's a great role model and ambassador for New Zealand. I, I don't think there's anything more that she'd like to do than uh, just win a gold medal for New Zealand. Lydia Coast coach David Lidbitter talking to RNZ's John Campbell. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only podcast brought to you by RNZ Sport. New Zealand track sprint cyclist Natasha Hansen is attempting to turn heartache into joy at this year's Rio Olympics. Hansen was the sole woman named in the sprint cycling team to represent New Zealand at this year's Games. Joining her are world champion sprinters Eddie Dawkins, Ethan Mitchell and Sam Webster, who will headline the men's team. It's been a tough four years for Hansen. She took a break following the 2012 London Olympics before picking the sport back up full-time just last year. I caught up with the 26-year-old to find out why she needed to take the break. It was quite a tough time for me because I'd lost one of my close friends just before the Games and I think um, obviously the Olympics is a big event and will mentally take the toll anyway so I think kind of having a double whammy I really needed just uh, um, time to myself I think so I focused on my air traffic control in Invercargill because um, that's what I do when I'm not riding and I also did a charity boxing event. I think that was good for me to just kind of keep conditioned. Um, and yeah, once I felt that I was ready um, and my passion and love for the, support, the sport um, had come back, then it was a good opportunity for me to kind of get involved again. Um, have you set yourself, any, set yourself any goals, I guess, for Rio? Like, What, is, what are your hopes to get out of it this, this time around? Um, well, coming off the World Champs, my goal going into that was just... I knew that um, 
my performances had been um, improving so I just wanted an improvement on all my results so I think with the fifth at Worlds I want to be improving on that at the Olympics so if I can just keep trucking along then um, hopefully my best is good enough to, to come away with um, some really good results. How far behind are you, I guess, from that, uh, from fifth to a middle uh, prospect? Like, is it a matter of, um, like, thousands of a second? What, how far off are you, do you think? Um, in the match sprint, it's quite tactical. So um, I think in the quarterfinals, I was knocked out by a more experienced rider. I think um, she's a reigning Olympic champion, was reigning world champ. So I think, um, for me, I just just needed to do a bit more racing at that level um, to get the confidence up. I don't think it's out of my reach at all. It's just a matter of kind of fine-tuning and, and just um, yeah, keeping my body at the level where I can be competitive. How hard is it to sort of do that? Because, I mean, by the sounds of it, training is uh, more intense than the actual races themselves. Yeah, our training is brutal at the moment, um, but it's really good. I think um, often we walk away from training and we feel like we just want to curl over um, but I think the mental satisfaction that you get from knowing that you've just pushed yourself to that level um, far outweighs any kind of pain so I think um, with the, the Olympics so close it's just so easy, it just feels so natural just to push your body to that level because you know that the, uh, the goals are so close and um, yeah it's just it almost feels, it's not obviously but it almost feels effortless kind of that training and um, I asked this to Sam earlier, um, you don't actually get to race on Rio's uh, velodrome in the lead up to the Olympics, so you get about a few days I think before the event, is that a concern for you at all or is every velodrome roughly the same? Quite often we'll go to big events such as the World Cup or the World Champs and we wouldn't have ridden the velodrome before, um, so for us it's not a new thing, um, we know vaguely what we need what we're going to get out of the track but um, no I think it's something that we're we're prepared for so I mean ideally it would be nice to have had more time but you've just got to work with what you've got. New Zealand track cyclist Natasha Henson. New Zealand athletes nervous about medications and supplements they're taking have inundated the National Sports Drug Agency with queries. The inquiries come in the wake of former World Tennis number no. 1 Maria Sharapova's suspension after testing positive for the banned substance meldonium at this year's Australian Open. Drug-free Sport New Zealand Chief Executive Graham Steele told sports editor Stephen Hewson there's been a fourfold increase in inquiries via their medication hotline and website. Probably not a complete surprise, although the extent to which we've had the increase uh, may be, but typically where there's um, publicity of, you know, involving an athlete of this kind of stature, then you would expect people to sit up and take notice. Uh, and so I imagine there are many people who, who hadn't really considered this well enough have decided, well, we need to give it more thought. Is that a bit of a concern in itself, that it's taken someone like Maria Sharapova to fall foul of the, of the law, which means maybe the, the education process or the message still isn't getting through? Uh, yes, that, that's clearly a concern. And, um, you know, we're a small organisation and we rely on our partners in the sports, uh, national sporting organisations and others to, to help us get the message through. But it, it's um, it's hard to get traction amongst all the media that there is out there. Uh, and so uh, it's unfortunate that it, uh, it comes to a head in, in a way in this kind of manner. But uh, we need to take the opportunity when we can. So, so what sort of things are athletes checking up on? A whole raft of things across the board, really. Uh, everything from from uh, medications um, that, that they need desperately to uh, perhaps um, 
medications that they may prefer to have. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole area of supplements, which is um, uh, a terribly difficult area for us. When you talk about a fourfold increase, what sort of numbers are, are, are you talking about? There are three or four different ways that um, we uh, provide this information. There's a text service that we have. There is a, a website that people can uh, make inquiries through, and there are telephones. So they go up in different ways. But it, it's gone up um, from perhaps dozens to hundreds over a couple of weeks. And the inquiries, the level of risk there, does it suggest that people are using illegal or, or medication that, that's not appropriate or supplements? Has it highlighted to you that the, the numbers being used are, are a concern? For the most part, the, the medications are being used legitimately, uh, but sometimes the substances require an exemption or the athletes just need to know uh, some of the rules around their use. Uh, for supplements, it's, it's quite a different uh, thing, and, and we know that many athletes, uh, if not the majority of athletes, use supplements of one form or another, um, and as I say, some of, some of them are really not a particular problem, but uh, others are, and, and if, if you see the way some of these supplements are advertised and the extraordinary things that they purport to provide, the only way they can do that is to, to include um, primitive substances. How many Meldonians have you had coming through? Well, that was one thing that that really, frankly, wasn't on our radar at all. We, we're unaware of any New Zealand athletes using it. It's certainly nothing that's available here in New Zealand. So it seems to be very much um, an Eastern European and, and, and Russian uh, issue, uh, and, and we've had none to date, and, and touch wood, we won't get any. The numbers, is that sort of the biggest influx you've, you've had of, of queries? Yes, it is, and that's really in the context of us trying to uh, ramp up awareness in any event. So our inquiries, I guess, over time have steadily been rising, uh, but we've just noticed this uh, quite uh, specific spike that we've had uh, immediately following the, the Sharapova case. So what you really want is more high-profile athletes testing positive. Uh, it's actually not what we want at all, Stephen. But um, you know, if if that occurs and and there is some benefit to other athletes and that stops them making the same mistake, then certainly we need to take advantage of that. The chief executive of Drug Free Sport New Zealand, Graham Steele, talking to sports editor Stephen Hewson. There are two changes to the New Zealand men's rugby sevens team for this weekend's World Series leg in Hong Kong. As coach Sir Gordon Titchens continues his search for the best possible team for this year's Rio Olympics. Hurricanes squad member Peter Arkey returns having last played for New Zealand at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in 2014. Waikato's Isaac Tatamaki also returns. He's coming back from injury. He made his last appearance at the Cape Town Sevens in December last year. The All Black Sevens are coming off a win in the last leg in Vancouver and have won three of the last four tournaments after triumphing in Wellington and Sydney. New Zealand is third in the series standings that are just behind Fiji and South Africa. The team has been drawn in Pool A and they'll play Samoa, France and Kenya with pool games spread over two days. With just four tournaments left before August Rio Games, competition for places in Titchen's final Olympic squad is getting fierce. RNZ's Joe Porter spoke to Sam Dixon about the players' fight for Rio and the team's aims and ambitions for Hong Kong. Obviously, this side for Rio is really very hard to pick, so yeah, I just want to keep on doing my job and um, putting my hand up every chance I get. 
How's uh, Peter Arkey fitting back into the squad after a, a you know a bit of time away from sevens? Yeah, Pete's been in the squad uh, a few years ago now. He's been to Con Games and won a World Series with us, so he's pretty experienced. He's just slowly finding his feet again, but um, no doubt he'll he'll be sweet for the weekend because he's a hell of a player and he's got a lot of X factor. So yeah, he'll be fine. And what do you make of Paul? Uh, you know, uh, Samoa going under the radar a little bit this year. Do you think? Yeah, I think probably the best I've been in a few years now, and they've got a nice little nucleus of young boys coming through and a couple of the older boys as well, and they're definitely a a team to watch for the weekend, I reckon. Um, So hopefully we can do our job against them and get the W. Sam, obviously everyone's pretty desperate to to make this Rio team, and I know Gordon this week said something along the lines of, you know, the players can't afford not to play well. Can you feel that pressure ramping up (laughs) as you get closer and closer? Not really, to be honest. I just think if I keep on doing my job and keep on playing the way I have been, then hopefully it'll take care of itself. But um, to be honest, just looking forward to this weekend and um, looking to perform in Hong Kong and then once again in Singapore and Paris and London and then hopefully everything will just take care of itself, the selection side of it. But um, yeah, as I said, I think I speak for most of the players. We're all just looking forward to this weekend and not really thinking about um, Rio at the moment, to be honest. Sam is... Hong Kong still seen as one of the prestige events of the World Series? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, there's a big buzz over here about it, and um, a lot of people over the world come here. I mean, on our flight over, there was a, a lot of Kiwis wishing us luck and coming to watch us as well. So, And also just with the tickets, you know, it's so hard to get tickets these days for Hong Kong. It's always sold out, so that speaks for itself. And, um, yeah, and also all the minnow, all the, the teams that are, fighting out to get onto the circuit full-time. They're all here, and that creates a nice new buzz as well. So it should be good. And Sam, just winning three of the last four tournaments, how important is it to just keep on winning these tournaments, not only for your own team's confidence, but just for the other teams as well, just to look at you and be like you're the team to beat heading into the Olympics? Yeah, I guess it's pretty important. But I think as long as we start, we, we keep on improving, Like we're obviously... We're not going to win every tournament, but we're going to be doing our best. And I think if we get our combinations right and start and keep on growing as a team, obviously the squad's going to change um, quite a bit um, leading into Paris and London. So for now, it's up to us, us 12, the 12 that's been named to do our job here in Hong Kong and Singapore and just keep on building and hopefully get a couple of Ws. Sam Dixon talking to RNZ's Joe Porter. The Hurricanes winger Corey Jane's lining up to play his 100th Super Rugby match this weekend when his team takes on the Argentinian side, the Jaguars, in Wellington on Saturday. The 33-year-old's first match for the Hurricanes came way back in 2007 against the Queensland Reds. While he concedes he's unlikely to play for the All Blacks again, the 53-test veteran says he's just as enthusiastic about his 100th match for the Hurricanes as he was when he first started his professional rugby career. Yeah, I scored a try on my first two, so hopefully bloody it repeats itself, eh? Is it just another number? No, it's cool to get to 100. Um, I guess yeah, people always talk about 50s and, and 100s, so I guess to, to be there is, is pretty cool. Um, but you know, obviously I just I just love playing for this team, and I grew up wanting to you know, be a Lion and a, and a Hurricane and a Norblack, so to be able to do all that is, is pretty cool. And, um, but I still play, love playing rugby. You know, I still like coming to, to training and competing with the lads, and... I probably do better than most of them here anyway, but um, and competing wise in the gym and all that, you know, and I, I like to get into their heads, and I still like competing out on the field on the weekends, you know, and um, you know, I guess until 
Uh, I play games and, and the wingers absolutely carve me up and I look like a fool every bloody weekend. Um, we're still trying to keep getting better and trying to improve and trying to compete with everyone. How long do you think you could go for? Playing? Mm. Yeah, if I feel like I do this year, I don't feel too bad. You know, I feel better than I have the last couple of years, so uh, he's, he's hoping another couple of years at least. Guys are getting younger and faster, especially you don't see too many 33-year-old wingers running around these days, so I'll show them. Eh? But yeah, no, it's going to be cool. It's going to be, um, you know, my kids come along and they haven't been to too many games because um, a while back they tried to run onto the field, two oldest boys, and one got lost in the Sharks changing room at one stage, so uh, they don't normally come, so they're going to come this weekend, which will be pretty cool uh, to have them there. And um, Yeah, I just can't wait to play some rugby. I, you know, I always told the boys and people around, when it's not about me, I can be the life of the party, but when it's about me, I kind of get a little bit embarrassed and within myself, so it's one of those awkward kind of things at the moment. Who do you think uh, you know, amongst the Hurricanes setup has been the biggest influence on in your career? I'm not too sure. Uh, well, I've never had a person where I've seen play rugby and I wanted to follow in their footsteps or anything like that. I like a lot of different rugby uh, players. They all bring their own little little skills and I guess you see the professional side of, of a Ma'a and a Conrad when I played with them, Tana, uh, back in the days and, and then you get some of the young fellas that are running around now and the TJs and the Bowdens who bring that enthusiasm and that competitiveness. Um, so I'm, I'm, I hate losing. I'm competitive. I'll, like if it was if I was playing against somebody and we we're changing babies' nappies, I'm going to win. That's just the way I am. I'm made. So, you know, a lot of that comes down to these guys and being 33 now, a little bit older, and seeing these guys still coming to try to take me on and call me old man kind of gets under my skin. So I, I try and challenge them as well. So there hasn't been one person. Uh, just been lots that I like to look at and try to compete with and, and you, they keep me going. Do you think the All Blacks are still realistic? Never say never, but probably unlikely, but but never say never. Like I still want to be an All Black, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, you know, if it, if it happens, I'm going to keep working hard to try and be one. If it doesn't happen, you know, I got over what happened last year when I missed out in the World Cup and that hurt for a while, but I kind of got over it um, now. So if it doesn't happen, then I had eight years of fun. Um, but, you know, this this I'm still playing the game to try and get there. Meanwhile, Jane's coach at the Hurricanes, Chris Boyd, was full of praise for his right winger's career to date. The funny thing with Corey is he feels much more comfortable about talking about other people and himself. So he, he's not overly comfortable about uh, celebrating his milestone, but he's been he's been fantastic for this club in in many ways, and he's uh, he's comfortably the the the, the most intelligent. Uh, outside back rugby player that I've ever coached. He's got a massive understanding of the game that very little, very few people appreciate. Is that longevity the thing you admire the most? You know, a lot of players, I guess, at his age, might skip off offshore. It doesn't seem to be that way. In nah, well, Corey's pretty entrenched in in his uh, circle in Upper Hutt, and he's got his family here, and you know, I think he's been he's been uh, happy here, and he's um, you know hasn't seen a need at the moment to to do that. Do you find him a, an easy player to coach? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do, because um, he's got a real good understanding of the game and he's very optimistic, And but he's also realistic. Uh, but no, he is easy to coach and, he, and you know, he values, uh, you know, what team stands for and he makes a really big contribution. Makes, he has a, has a very positive impact on, a, impact on a lot of other people as well. And, um, I mean, how much does that experience uh, mean to the team considering the players have lost this year? Yeah, well, he's he's helped out. Now, often he came to me uh, with a very cheeky grin on the other day and asked if he could.
put up his salary to get a little bit of a coaching component of it as well because he felt that uh, he was making a contribution in that area. So, you know, he's he's a constant joker. How important is that character, you know, like I guess after, after a loss or after a disappointing season or anything like that, how important is having someone with his humour around? Uh, well, look, I think it's like all teams, you've got to have a balance. I mean, if you had 30 Corey Janes in your team, it might be somewhat of a shambles, but... Um, you know, to have one or two is fantastic, and he gets balanced out by by other people's personalities. So, no, he's just one of those guys you need. Hurricanes coach Chris Boyd talking to the media there. Finally, the Wellington Phoenix Football Club are saying goodbye to two veterans this weekend in their final match of the A-League season against the Western Sydney Wanderers. Ben Sigmund is retiring from professional football, while Manny Muskett's heading back to Australia to finish his career with Melbourne City in the A-League. Between the two of them, they've made almost 200 appearances for the Phoenix. Sigmund talked to the media ahead of his final match about the emotions he's experienced over the last few days. Sort of, uh, obviously, the sad emotions are coming through, but in general, I'm just trying to enjoy this week and you know enjoy the boys and the last bit of training. Even though every little bit of time, every time I run, it seems to hurt everywhere. But uh, it's yeah, it's just uh, it's uncontrollable emotions. You can't actually describe it it's just it's just you just got to go through with it and uh and then just look forward to the game and enjoy it and make the most of the atmosphere and the people and the fans and the boys and and then it's all over Have some of the emotions kind of hit you at funny times when you when you least expected it <laughs> yeah they seem to like certain songs it's really weird just driving along with the radio and all these songs come on and then you just have a wee cry on your own but <laughs> it's weird but uh look i think it's just it's a proud emotion you know to say that i'm at the end of it all and been really hard work to keep going for this long and I'm looking forward to it finishing but also um, you know going to be sad at the same time. After the season you've had with with your injuries and your and your illness um, how pleasing is it to be able to have one more last hurrah in front of your home fans? Yeah well I've just told Ernie to put me on ice for three days <laughs> and so I can get out for that last game and yeah it, it's been a hard year for me injury wise and, and illness and what have you but you know to Again, how hard I've worked to, to make sure I get out for this last game is, is something to be proud of, I think. And, you know, all the obstacles that get put in your way. And, you know, as I said, hopefully I can just walk out there with my kids and enjoy that moment. Uh, I suppose the difficulties for a professional sports person, what you've got to go through to, you know, uh, at least do that last season, I suppose. I mean, that's been obviously a challenge. Yeah, I think uh, it hasn't been, a ch- it's always been a challenge. And, you know, mentally, physically, you know, there's there's all sorts of stuff that goes on and results driven, obviously, and, you know, but for me, it hasn't been hard to keep the motivation and keep my standards and things like that, but this last week has been hard just because just I know it's the end and making sure I still turn up for training and stay focused and do my exercises down in the room and what have you, it, it is hard this week, I have to say, and I just really want now to, to play this last game and, and probably you know see the end of it and enjoy enjoy and celebrate with everyone else. And I imagine because of so many years that as soon as that first whistle goes, uh, anything that's celebrations or whatever happened before will be gone and it'll be on the field. Yeah, yeah. The, look, the last game is as I've said in the book. It's every game's been like a grand final to me. I go out to win every game and I'm proud to to wear the Phoenix shirt and worn it with pride every time I've gone out there and it won't change again this weekend. And yes, I said there's a very good book coming out shortly about your career. Um, I, I suppose going through that also is sort of, uh, how's that helped or it's you know uh, it's brought back lots of memories. Oh, it certainly has, you know, and 
it helps you sort of put things in perspective. It helps you kind of reflect on life and, you know, certainly helps you reflect on the difficult times because, you know, everyone's career as a professional is probably more, there's more downsides to it than upsides. And, you know, um, it has been for me a, a colourful career and an enjoyable one. And for me, I'm pleased to put my feet up to, at the end of it all and, uh, and have a beer with my mates and, um, and you know, watch from the TV. Going to be heading up to the yellow fever then? Right? Oh, I might. They might get the odd visit from me, to be honest. And uh, you know, I want to. I want my boy to come along. I want to spend some family time with the kids, and that's my first uh, thing I'll be doing. And then I'm sure we'll be heading up there a few times with the yellow fever. Ben Sigmund. And that is extra time for this week. Feedback is always welcome via our Twitter at RNZ Sport or our emails, sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chatterton. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.